If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to read Daniel 7 this morning before we turn to it. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats ahead of you. And uh, if you turn to page 744, if you're unfamiliar with the text, you'll find Daniel chapter 7 there. We are shifting gears now as we um, consider a different sort of um, literature in this book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment. And the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. As I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze. 
and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up from before it which three of them fell the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions as I looked this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancients of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom thus he said as for the fourth beast there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces as for the ten horns out of the kings ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them he shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve him and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Father, your word is truth. Your word is absolutely clear. We have trouble with it because we are those who live in a world of truth and untruth. We have trouble with it because our sinfulness has blinded us and made it difficult for us to understand what you have made clear. But Father, you have given us your spirit. You have provided for us um, uh, help. You are working in us to help us to see your truth more clearly and understand it. And so this morning, as we gather around this text and as we uh, think about what you have had Daniel record, Father, may we not get lost in the details, but may we grasp something of the big picture of this text, that it might help us today and tomorrow and in the weeks and the months to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to a book like uh, Daniel, and particularly chapter 7, and you begin to see that the smart run. You read a lot of um, sermons, and I follow just a few of them online in different areas, and a strange thing happens that when you come to chapter 7, the series ends. And uh, I guess I can understand that to a certain extent. But I don't think that's what God wants for us. I think he wants us to understand all of his word and to consider all of his word. I think part of our trouble when you come to uh, Daniel 7 and what's sort of the rest of the book apart from chapter 9 is it's a different type of literature. Some of you may have heard of the name apocalyptic. That's what this kind of literature is. It's the same literature as we find in Revelation, the book of Revelation. It's apocalyptic literature. Even the word sounds ominous, but really what it is, it's literature that is written in signs and symbols and numbers and visions and pictures of wrath and judgment that often intimidate us, but its goal is to take us to the end. Its goal is to use these kind of pictures and visions and symbols to help us grasp concepts and ideas that will give us insight into the end of the world, so to speak. 
I think one of the things that uh, discourages us, though, is when we come to such literatures, we read of so many kind of fanciful and sometimes bizarre, bizarre explanations of these things that we say, well, I really don't want to tackle that, and I don't want to cause division, so I'm going to back away, and we're not going to deal with a chapter like Daniel 7. I think worse, we can come to a chapter like Daniel 7 and think, well, there's no practical value in this for me today. I hope we will see at the end of our time together that there is practical value, that we can make sense of it, and that there is help in it for us. I know I'm going to disappoint some of you in the next few weeks. Um, I'm sorry for that, but it doesn't worry me too much. Um, because I am to a much greater degree looking forward to discovering with us the incredible big picture truths and the encouragement that we find in texts such as this. In general, Daniel is to the Old Testament what Revelation is to the New Testament. It pulls them all together, so to speak. But they're also connected that, that Daniel drives us ahead to consider things that John talks about in Revelation, and John tells us things in Revelation that helps us understand some of the things that Daniel could have never understood. And so there are connections between the books. Both of these books present uh, for us uh, a lens with which we can look at the end of the world. And both of them reach the same conclusion. God wins. Both of these books are intended to give encouragement for the people of God. Heaven rules. Both remind us that when all the externals of human rule and policy are peeled away, the kingdoms of men are positively beastly, and behind them are all the forces of evil that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6. Both of them give us glimpses of life here on earth, life in heaven, and then how life in heaven impacts life here on earth. They give us a view of the world which is such a helpful view to have. Daniel 7 is really uh, about world history. But also Daniel 7 is not for the faint of heart. It's not a book that we ought to be able to read with any kind of cold detachment as we hear these beasts and we walk away, well, that's kind of cool. We are meant to feel it. We are meant to smell it. We are meant to sense it. We are meant to see it for ourselves. And not surprisingly, if we do that, our thoughts might be the same as Daniel's. They alarmed him. His color changed as he began to think about what these beasts represent and what God was revealing to him. He was physically shaken. And so... We look at it in three basic ways. First of all, we're going to stop on earth. And we're going to look in verses 1 to 9 about what's going on on earth. And uh, what I said in the extra heading for it is monsters in my head or under my bed. The year, if you caught it, is the first year of Belshazzar. Fascinating. We're not following chronologically in Daniel now. Remember, Belshazzar died in chapter 5. This is the first year of his reign, which puts us to about 550 B.C. Babylon had not yet been destroyed or fallen. Babylon, or Belshazzar was there as his father's designate. And in this first year of Belshazzar's reign, we read that Daniel woke up in a night sweat, terrified by what he had seen. This is meant to be a global vision. 
This is where numbers and symbols are helpful. It says the four winds of heaven. That's a way of saying, really, uh, completeness or universality. It's the sort of the, the four corners of the, worth, uh, of the world. They're stirring up the sea. And the sea here is meant to be a picture of humanity, of all of humanity. The sea is also a symbol for chaos and rebellion, as you see it in the Bible and as you see it in other apocalyptic literature. Most likely, this is why there's no sea in heaven. Out of the sea, Daniel saw, four beasts coming. Each was different from the other. And this, these enormous, composite, misshapen animals make them, I think, even more terrifying to us. Each of them is hideous in their own sight. I was away for a couple weeks up north, or just for a week up north, out walking in the snow. And as out walking in the snow, you can see things much more clearly. And I came across some fresh grizzly tracks. I have never seen tracks this big. I actually took pictures of them beside my feet. But as soon as I saw them, immediately the hair on the back of my head stood up and I was afraid. These are even more hideous than grizzly tracks out in the snow. And it should have the same impact on us as we read them as those grizzly tracks had on me as I was walking out in the snow. As we think about each of these, the emphasis on them is now on the depravity of world rulers. The first beast is like a lion, and it has eagle's wings. It's an unclean mixture of animal and bird. Its wings are ripped off or plucked off, and it undergoes this strange transformation of being on all fours to standing upright on two feet. The beast is a strange combination of animal and man. The second beast is a beast like a bear. And one side appears grossly deformed, Daniel says. Its latest meal is still in its mouth, and yet it's commanded, go out and devour much flesh. The third beast is a beast like a leopard, part bird with four heads. It's swift, it's ferocious, its many heads make it impossible to escape from its gaze. And then we come to a fourth beast, so hideous, that there's no earthly animal that can be used to even give us a sense of it or describe it for us. It's frightening, it's dreadful, it's incredibly strong. It has iron teeth and crushing feet. It has ten horns growing out of his head. Ten really is a number in the Bible that expresses completeness or fullness. Horns are a symbol of strength. So ten horns is possibly a reference to exponential power or full power. And another little horn comes out from among them, and three of the horns die. And this little horn, has, it's full of eyes, and it has a mouth that speaks arrogantly. Have you ever seen such things? Are you frightened by such things? For us who have been exposed to so many tamed, exotic animals around the world, and who have seen so much evil, these descriptions seem to phase us just not much at all. And yet in those days when they lived with wild animals and they were constantly in dread of losing their children or themselves to being eaten by wild animals, when they understood sort of the power of them, these things were dreadful to them. And what Daniel wants us to understand is not only their power, but the intensifying beastliness of these animals. There's a hideousness to them. There's a beastliness to them. And so what are we to make of these four beasts? Well, we're told in Daniel 7, 17 what they are. And we'll come back to Daniel 17 in a minute, but notice what it says in Daniel 17. He says there, these four great beasts are what? Four kings 
that arise out of the earth. That shouldn't be hard for us. We have the explanation given to us by the interpreter to Daniel of what these four beasts are. They are four kings that come out of the sea or the earth to rule the world. Each of these kings, the implication is they've rejected the living God and they become more bestial. The more one excises God from their life, the more independent they don't become, but what they do become is more bestial. They become more hideous. And so what the vision, I think, is wanting us to conclude is that as our world is being run by human leaders and as they re reject God and as they continue to succeed one another, they become more fearsome and more monstrous and that they go from bad to worse and that each one seems to be more frightening than the one that came before us. This is what John tells us. He says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we have the advantage of knowing this because the evil one came to Jesus in the temptations and what was one of the things he offered him? He says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you will bow down and worship me. God in his province, providence and his sovereign rule has given a certain amount of power to the evil one to give those kingdoms to whomever he will. And so we see in these beast rulers who have, been, who have received power from the evil one, and it's him that controls them. And what we will soon see is that the monstrous beastliness of the world and its system is bent on the destruction of the saints of the Most High. What we can't lose sight of in Daniel is that this conflict, which goes beyond human conflict, this conflict is between two kingdoms. And it's between two peoples, so to speak. And at the end of the day, saints find themselves in the middle of this conflict. There's much temptation for us to want to match the four historical kingdoms with the four beasts. Some suggest to us that this vision is a repeat of the vision in chapter 2. I, I can go there, but I, I don't know if I want to go there too much because when we have these visions, if they want us to know they're attached with a specific kingdom, Daniel will say, you, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. When we come to chapter 8, he will say, and this kingdom is Greece, and this kingdom is um, Medo-Persia. So I'm not convinced that these visions are the same. They have a same general thrust, but I don't know if we can identify them to same. But I don't think there's any reason to be dogmatic about it. Many modern-day prophets, though, attempt to fit nations and leaders into these descriptions. And it's often with very embarrassing results, and results that in 20 years are irrelevant and don't fit. I think we need to be careful not to add to what um, the, the description that God has given us and not to detract from it. We have the interpretation in General 7, Daniel 7, 17. Why do we want to try and explain it further? Why, if the angelic interpretation leaves the identification vague and does not clarify to Daniel, do we think that we have such insight? See, apocalyptic literature is not so much concerned with specifics or the past. It's really concerned with helping us understand the present to, with a view to the end. And so I think what we ought to do is be satisfied that what Daniel is saying here is that these four beasts represent human kingdoms that are satanically inspired and it will get worse and worse and worse and worse until God comes again with Christ. 
truth is, loved ones, for us to properly understand this vision does not mean that we have to identify the four beasts. Four, as we have seen from verse 2, is a number that expresses completeness or universality. So we're not meant to think, I, uh, I believe, of particular world empires or leaders per se, as we are to understand that until Christ returns, the kingdoms of this world will be positively beastly. And they will be evil. And when you peel away the, the, the sort of the outside and the veneer, you find underneath just pure evil and beastliness. It's fascinating to me that superpowers always represent themselves with animals. Uh, and animals of prey. You go to Russia and it's known as the bear. You go to the United States and it's known as the eagle. You go to China and it's known as a dragon. You go to Canada and it's known as a beaver. <laughs> wow. I don't know if I want to live in Canada. But the point of the vision is that there's a beastly animal quality to the humans of man, to the kingdoms of mankind that have rejected God. I don't want to go into the details because they're absolutely mind-numbing and crushing and they rip your heart out. But just think of men like Mao and Hitler and Stalin, Pol Pot, Amin, Assad, Kim Il-jung. Think of countries like Sudan and Syria and China and Japan and the atrocities that were committed from some of them back in the Second World War. Think about North Korea and they remind us of the ferocious, monstrous, beastly character of leaders and countries that have rejected God. And we see how they seem to get increasingly more hideous and evil in their expressions. This is, I think, what Daniel is seeing. This is what God wants us to know. The world is not going to get better, loved ones. And when we listen to men and women who want to tell us that this world is going to get better, we ought to take, well, what do you make of Daniel chapter 7 then? It doesn't describe for us a place that's getting better. It describes for us a world that is getting more hostile and more evil. And much of that brutality in the end is focused on the people of God. Revelation 13 says much the same thing, and it pulls these three beasts together. Listen to Revelation 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. That's what Daniel saw. And he says, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadem, diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And listen to this. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its, feast were like, its feet were like a bear's. And its mouth was like a lion's mouth. There's Daniel, or John, tying this all together. And he says, and to it the dragon gave its power and his throne and great authority. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God. Blaspheme his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Daniel is seeing the end. Daniel is seeing what John is summarizing now in Revelation chapter 13. And no matter where we live throughout the history of the world and until the world return of Christ, Frightening beasts will array themselves against the Lord and his saints. And behind them are the forces of evil described in Revelation or Ephesians chapter 6. Loved ones, the world is not our friend. The second thing though, we move in Daniel 7, 9 to 15 and we move now to heaven. And there's a whole new sense of, 
a feeling. It's almost a sense of calm now. We, we, on the earth, it's just chaos, and it's evil, and it's, it's destruction, and it's ferocity, ferocity. Now we come to heaven, and there's calm. Beloved, it is this picture that matters the most. Please hear what I say and the grace with which I mean to say it. I wish that people who spent so much of their time trying to figure out the identification of the beasts in, in, in Daniel uh, 7, 1 to 9 would spend as much time thinking and meditating on the vision of heaven. That they would focus on the throne and they would focus on judgment that is to come and they would focus on the one that is like a son of man. We would be better off served by gazing into heaven than we would by trying to figure out the evil and unpredictableness of humans. Daniel 7, I believe, finds its comparison in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. There, John says, and after this, I looked. Remember, he was talking about the three churches. He was talking about earth. And then what happens is, after this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open into heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet says, Come up here. And I, show you, I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, listen, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. This, this is what we ought to see when we see the world around us. We ought to look up to heaven, and all of the chaos around us should be calmed or squashed because we now have a view of heaven. And in heaven there is a throne, and it's occupied. Some of you might remember a few years back we looked at Revelation 12 and, or, or Revelation 4 and we were reminded, um, and it's Daryl Johnson who says this, how important it is to put on our Revelation 4 glasses. I would say, add to that now, put on your Daniel 7 glasses. And the glasses are glasses. Remember we talk about, you talk about seeing things through rose-colored glasses? I want us to see things through heaven-colored glasses. That there is a throne, and it is occupied, and God is in control. And so when you listen to the news, and when you read the chaos, put on those glasses. Look up and see the throne, and that it's occupied. What does he see up there? You see thrones set up, and there's judgment now. Judgment is introduced three times in this chapter. It's a critical concept. And what does he see happening in heaven on those thrones? He sees the Ancient of Days, which is a reference to God, coming and sitting on the throne. Daniel is now looking ahead to the end. And this is the intent of apocalyptic literature to get us to the end. And he's saying when all of this is panned out, at the end, God wins. At the end, God judges. Look at the one on the throne. It's an incredible description of the Ancient of Days. One without beginning of end. His clothing is as white as snow, uncompromising and radiant beauty. His hair is like pure wool. There's wisdom there. And, in, and, and, and his throne is like a chariot of fire, and a stream of fire is issuing out before him. This is a scene of judgment. And God is judging and bringing to a conclusion all the evil and all the war that has taken place. Look at the company of people. These numbers are staggering. A thousand thousands serve him. That's one million beings doing this bidding, whether it's literal or just meant to give us this sense of incredible amount of servants serving God. And then he says, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. That's a hundred million standing before the throne of God. 
It's an incredible host of people, and it reminds us, loved ones, that even though we might feel alone, even though we might feel by ourselves, we're part of a great, incredible multitude that is gathered around the throne of God. And he says, uh, he says, look at the reason for this gathering. It's simply there's a court in session. It says, and the books are open. This, loved ones, is the day of the Lord. It's the end of the age. It's the day of judgment. It's the day of God's wrath. And there are a number of judgments that are spoken of in the Bible, and I believe they all take place on the day of the Lord or on the day of judgment. And I think what Daniel is seeing, although he doesn't describe it the same way, is he's witnessing the final judgment on the Antichrist. There are many antichrists would come, but this little horn that has eyes and speaks blasphemies is the final antichrist that will come and finally make war against the saints at the end of the last days. And although Daniel doesn't know it, he's witnessing what, what is described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where after the man of lawlessness appears, what does it say? Christ will slay him by a breath of his mouth. He's describing for us, I also believe, the great white throne judgment. This is what Daniel has seen, although he doesn't articulate it, which is in Revelation chapter 20. And it's fascinating that even as this judgment is being pronounced, the Antichrist continues to utter blasphemies, but his end is sealed. And the kingdoms of this world, uh, John tells us, have become the kingdoms of our God, and he will reign forever and forever. This is what John describes. It says, they marched over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And there were tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away. No place was found from them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of the fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I believe this is what Daniel is articulating and looking ahead to, and we have the benefit of the full revelation of Scripture. You see, loved ones, right now we do live in the presence of monstrous beasts with considerable power bent on the destruction and the persecution of the saints. And I just want to draw your attention. Today is the day of prayer for the persecuted church. And in the sermon notes, there's a reference to two websites that you can go to that that give you information and help you understand what our brothers and sisters are experiencing around the world. And loved ones, it is tough to read that stuff, but it is true and it is what is happening around the world today. But Revelation 20 is on the horizon. We are not helped so much by spending our time trying to identify the beasts. We are helped by fixing our gaze in heaven and putting on our Revelation chapter 4 glasses. Loved ones, this is such a clear message to us, I believe. The world around us and all its stuff does not matter. The world around us and all its stuff is doomed to be burned up with fire. The world and all those who embrace it will share the same fare. 
What matters and what only matters is the tribunal of God. What matters and only matters is standing for God before God. And as Jesus said in one place in Matthew, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We ought not fear the beast. We ought to stand in holy awe and fear of the ancient of days. You see, he's one like the Son of Man as well. Both human and divine characteristics. Uh, one like a Son of Man. There is human resemblance. Um, stands before the Ancient of Days. He has divine characteristics, though he comes on the cloud of heavens, which is a symbol of divine authority. And he's given great authority and glory and sovereign power. He receives the worship of all peoples, nations, and tribes. He's given an everlasting authority and an indestructible domain and a sovereign authority which belongs to God alone. This is Christ, loved one. This is Daniel looking down the road and seeing the, the coming of Christ. And it's easier for us to grasp than Daniel because we have the benefit of living in a day now when the revelation of God is complete. We know about Jesus. He was both God and man. He was one of us with flesh and blood and yet not with sin. He was given humanity and physicality and he eventually died. But we also know that he was divine, that he had a virgin birth, that his nature, his name was Emmanuel, God with us, that he was in the beginning before the world was. He is the word. He is God himself. And we see that Christ is our king and that the kingdoms of his world, this world, will become the kingdoms of our Lord. Loved ones, heaven is your friend. And heaven is the place that should occupy our time and our meditation and our understanding. And then we come finally to the last point. It's where the kingdoms of heaven and earth collide. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This dream is a tough one for Daniel. It says he wanted to know, though, give me the interpretation of things. Loved ones, I don't know why we want to look beyond what the Bible tells us. He says, give me the interpretation of things. And so he gives them the interpretation. And I think the key to Daniel 7 is verses 17 and 18. And you ought to underline them or circle them. I think that's the key. These four beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive a kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. That's the sum of what Daniel is trying to get across to us. The vision is not intended to give us more nightmares. It's intended to calm our fears and settle our minds. The beasts are coming. Beastly kingdoms will continue. But the saints of the Most High are secured. Again, the angelic interpreter to Daniel is not fixated on the identity of the beast. Rather, the central point is the final victory of the saints, which will be an eternal victory. Who wants to know more about this fourth beast? Few descriptive details are added as the interpreter comes and helps him understand the fourth beast, except for maybe the claws of bronze. But I think this fourth beast, it's the, it's the sum of all the other kingdoms and the full evil of the world in an individual. It's much like um, John describes in Revelation chapter 13. It's the full expression of everything that is against God. And notice what it says. This horn, the final beast, the Antichrist, of which there are many little Antichrists that come before it, made war with the saints and prevailed over them. 
want you to just settle there for a moment. I want you to hear this clearly. You and I, we who are children of God, are objects of the beast's hatred and evil. We really are. And this whole world system, apart from God, is intent on destroying the people of God and the kingdom of God. And in the last days, as we move through these last days, and as we await the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, evil against the kingdom of God and the people of God will become more outspoken. And the attack on God's people will seem at times to be more than we can bear. Notice what it says in verse 21. He made war with the saints and prevailed over them. That means he overpowered them. He defeated them. He overcame them. He proved stronger than them. Notice verse 25. And he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. I don't want to trivialize what some of our brothers and sisters are going through around the, around, uh, going through around the world. I think sometimes we think that physical suffering is the epitome of suffering. I'm not always convinced of that. I think some of you know what it's like to be prevailed upon by the world. I think some of you know what it's like to be worn out by the relentless attacks of the world system upon you. It says so, you know, Jesus says that in the end, uh, the, the last days, that it would become so bad that if possible, even the elect would be deceived. See, Daniel was shocked as he, as he was going through this, this vision. I think what stunned him was the impact of this on the people of God. I think that's what shook him to the core. I think that's what upset him so. I think that's what alarmed him. He was saying, really, God? This is what your church is going to face? This is what your people are going to endure? This is the reality of what we have to face until you're coming back? He was shocked at what God's people would have to walk through. Are you and I shocked as we consider that? Do we feel that pain? Do we feel that pressure? Do we, if we don't experience personally, do we join with our brothers and sisters who are and say, oh God, why? Oh God, preserve them. Oh God, protect them. Oh God, sustain them. It's described in Revelation chapter 12. It's the same picture. Remember after the, the, the beast is unable to kill the woman, it says, and he went off to make war against the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and who hold the testimony of Jesus. We're at war. Suffering shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't make us think that somehow there's something wacky in our life. But note carefully two words that make a world of difference. And we're really close to the end. Verse 22. I love little words, but notice the first word in verse 22. Until. I looked and this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until. Until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Loved this is encouragement. Hang in there. Don't abandon God. Don't give up. 
don't walk away. Know that one day your vindication is sure. Know that one day all wrongs will be right. Know that one day justice and righteousness will prevail because the Ancient of Days will bring about full, complete, and final judgment. Never forget that little word, until. And then we go to verse 26, and there's another beautiful word. And we have in verse 25, He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change times and the law, and they shall be given into His hand for times and times and half a time. But, but, the court shall sit in judgment. There is a final day when the kingdoms of this earth, where the Antichrist himself will finally and fully be judged and their authority will be taken from them and the righteous will be vindicated and the saints of the Most High God will reign with the one like a son of man forever and ever and ever. So, loved ones, remember this. Remember whose you are. You are a saint of the Most High God. And he will fight for you. And he will win. Remember, when this world just gets you down, when this old world just gets me down, look up. Put on your Revelation 4 glasses. Put on your Daniel 7 glasses. And say, but there is a throne in heaven. And it's occupied. And remember the end, loved one. We know how it ends. We've been, by the mercy and grace of God, we have been given insight like Daniel and John to see the end. And God will judge. Righteousness will win. The best thing in the world is to know that God is my judge and Christ is my Savior. O world, O beasts, give me your best. For I am safe. I am a saint of the Most High God. So, loved ones, this week, when the beasts are breathing down your neck, and they will, when they are surrounding you on every side, and you will know it, look up. See the throne in heaven. See it occupied by the Ancient of Days. Remind yourself that the King is coming. And rejoice. Rejoice. As our song said at the beginning, for God is King. Father, we thank you for our time together today. Help us to get the big picture of Daniel 7 in our hearts and in our minds. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.